This is Comic Shenanigans, episode Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 834. It's a bit of a comic talk episode, just a bit of a here and there episode, just for me to gab for 15, well, 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, today's topic, well, you know, I've been actually thinking about, actually, I think I have to give credit to uh, Eric Anthony of the Cave of Solitude podcast, because he had a recent episode with Kevin Boyd on, who, uh, among many other things, besides being a comics aficionado, as are we all, uh, but he's also uh, been integrally involved with multiple different comic conventions and still is involved in comic conventions. And it made me kind of think about my own personal experience with uh, comic conventions and like when I first went, how do I feel about them? Uh, and I feel like in a lot of ways, I've always kind of been a weird comic book fan. And I guess it's because when I was younger, and I think I've alluded to this in the past, like I've you know read a few comics when I was you know very young, but for the most part, I didn't really get into comics and actually started following them and really enjoying them till I was maybe, I want to say like 13, 12, 13 years old. And I feel like a lot of people, especially when I like interview people for the podcast, they typically get into, involved in comics much earlier. They start reading them when they're, you know, four or five or six. And I remember I, you know, I had a few comics. My dad had a few, I think I've mentioned before in the, on the podcast where I had a few Superman issues and maybe a, few, a couple Spider-Man issues. And I bought a, a few off the newsstand in 93. I would have been the year I turned 10. Um, or it might have been 94. I can't remember what your maximum cartridge is now. Uh, but I was like, you know, 9 or 10. But I wasn't really, like, reading comics. And that really didn't happen for me until Onslaught. Um, or just before. I mean, and, and even then, I had read some of Age of Apocalypse when it was first coming out. I have these very vivid memories, which is something for me, because I have a, a condition called idiopathic hypersomnia, and I don't really have good memories anymore. Um, sorry, that, that makes it sound like I just have a sad, sad life. Um, I don't really process memories the same way anymore. Uh, I first uh, came down with this condition about 13 years ago in 2007, and ever since then, my ability to process and create new memories is just not the same. I don't retain information in the same way. I'm constantly in a level of exhaustion, even with uh, I have regular weekly acupuncture treatments to help kind of put it at bay. But uh, my memory's just never been the same. Uh, but prior to that, I was really good at memory, memorizing stuff generally. So I have this very vivid memory. And, and so the way my memories typically work is that if it happened before 2007, I probably have a pretty good sense of what it was like. If it happened after that, it's a little bit murkier. Uh, or it's just gone. Who knows? Um, but some things I do remember, like, you know, my son being born, my wedding. You know, I, I do remember the big things. Uh, thank God. <laughs> I think I'd be in a lot more trouble. You know, I, I'm sure I'll always remember that feeling when I hoisted my you know, PS5, about, you know, and took a picture with how excited I was to get my PS5. Uh, I'm sure that I will be excited about. I just got one this past week, so that's why it's on my mind. Anyways, uh, going back to, uh, you know, I remember being in grade five or six or something and reading Age of the Apocalypse issues outside uh, in the grass with, like, my buddies and we had like the entire class got to like stay outside and just read at one point instead of uh you know being inside and you know once you did your work you could you know read comics and i remember reading some of the age of apocalypse issues i only had a couple when i was younger i had a astonishing x-men number one and number four i had amazing x-men number one i think that's it 
Uh, no, and I think I, no, I didn't have the fourth issue of that either. Um, I'm trying to remember what else did I have? I had Weapon X number two, Factor X number three, like kind of a weird higgledy pickledy stuff. But I didn't really get into comics until later. Um, so you know, I, I didn't really start reading comics on a regular basis till, as I said, it was more like the onslaught period, and I was reading Uncanny X Men and X Men, and those were my books. And then I didn't read Spider Man until, you know, I guess it was later that year. Actually, it was, it was later two thousand, uh, sorry, nineteen ninety six, because uh, the Clone Saga had just ended. It was literally the first issue of Amazing Spider Man after that, just by accident, issue four nineteen. Um, and I remember, I'm pretty sure someone gave it to me, and then I got four twenty when I was in the hospital i had a head injury and so i got it then and uh then i just started reading amazing spider-man and buying it on every month and i've continued to this day i've given up at sometimes on x-men books but i've never given up on spider-man although sometimes i want to uh, but it's been different i just have a different relationship with the character it wasn't what got me into comics but i would say it's what kept me in comics um Anyways, what does this all this matter? Oh, so comic conventions. So I remember going to the Canadian National Comic Book Expo, which is, I believe, what Fan Expo morphed in. Well, what eventually morphed into Fan Expo. This would have been, I think, this the second annual or something. It was in the late nineties. Um, and I really liked conventions at the beginning because I remember going through Wizard Magazine, trying to find out the books I was going to try and buy if I could find them for a decent price based on their book value. Such stupid nonsense. Um, but I remember like spending so much time going through and figuring out what I was going to prioritize, what books I was going to look for and uh, what price I was comfortable with. And I remember being able to get into the convention for like less than five bucks. And I, I literally went to a convention with $20. And so I had five bucks to get in and then the rest was just for comics. And I think I spent like seven or 10 bucks and I found, I think I got the, the wedding of Spider-Man and like some cool st- and like some what if issues I really liked um, and still have to this day. So that, that, that was a very like visceral memory. And I remember I guess it would have been around this time. It would have been around 98 or 99. I remember going... It had to have been after the relaunch of um, the Spider-Man books by John Byrne because I remember Michael Ringo was there and he was signing issues of Sensational... Well, a lot of things. But for me, I had two issues of Sensational Spider-Man that I had him sign. Why did I only have those two issues? I don't know. Um, but I, there were the Identity Crisis issues with the uh, Hornet. And I, I think I was too nervous to actually talk to him or ask him anything. But uh, he signed my books. And I remember being in line and him someone saying, like, oh, I wish you didn't have to leave the book. And his, him saying something along the lines of what John Byrne wants, John Byrne gets. So they did the whole kind of revamp at that time and john byrne was the you know the artist on i guess amazing spider-man um and he was kind of co-writing the book with howard mackie anyways I, he just didn't seem too impressed uh, with that but that was always just so interesting to me and i guess the first time i was actually to get close to a creator um looking back i guess he's kind of the first one and i was never really big into getting books signed that never really became a huge thing for me um but he you know he's one of the only artists that have ever had books where i got them signed i had matt rags morales uh he had done, I think, the first two or three issues of uh, Identity Crisis he signed for me back in 2004. I think I later sold those. I mean, I liked having them, but, I mean, I had the trade, and I was just like, I don't need the singles anymore. I'm not going to read them in the same way. I'm probably not going to pick it up. And what else did I have? Um, and then I had uh, some issues of Amazing Spider-Man, I believe, I got signed, which those I still would have. Um, and those were by Mike Diodato Jr. Um, when it was, <laughs> what a weird time and weird, sp- you know, I, I didn't have a huge collection. At, well, this time it was 2004. So my collection was starting to burgeon and get a large, a lot larger and bigger. Because uh, now I had more, a little bit more money to spend on comics. But at the time I didn't have a lot. So I remember, you know, I had bought Identity Crisis, I think the week or a couple weeks before the con. So I, like they were the, kind of fresh in my hands. And uh, Mike 
Downey Jr. I didn't have a lot of his work, but I had his Amazing Spider-Man, which was Sin's past. And it was in the middle of the storyline. So both of them, I had them signed kind of in the midway points uh, of those particular stories. But um, so to go back for a second to 1990, I guess the late 90s, and I, there was a, a bunch of cons in and around Toronto and they weren't that expensive. And, you know, there was one up near the airport. There was one downtown. Again, I don't know what they were. I remember the Canadian National Comic Book Expo. I don't know what point it became Fan Expo or what that. I remember, you know, at some point there was like different names and they all kind of merged and Fan Expo was what resulted. But, you know, this is over 20 years now. I don't remember anymore. Um, and then I remember in 2004, uh, in the summer of 2004, I started, uh, I, I had been frequenting a comic book website called comicstream.com and I really liked it and I really became an obsessed poster. I mean, I was working at like a, a drug a drugstore that summer uh, off from university. I would have been, I guess this is right after second year university. I really had a lot of time and because I just basically worked and I, you know, didn't do a lot because I was saving and, uh, you know, and so I was on message boards a lot. Anyways, it got to the point where I was like, I, I'd love to review comics. So I started reviewing comics, and at some point, you know, I ended up reviewing web uh, comics there for probably five or six years. Uh, I think around the time I moved, 2009, I bought my first place. It's around the time I think the website started changing. It changed its name to CX Pulp. It felt like we'd lost a lot of people who were used to Comic Stream, and I don't think a lot of people followed the name change. And I always liked Comic Stream. It was fine. I didn't, it was kind of maybe it was kind of hokey, but it was easy to remember. And CX Pulp, I don't. It just never was a never caught me as a really exciting name um and i felt like there was a huge drop off after that and i kind of dried up my writing i kind of stopped and uh a few years later would start podcasting instead um and i remember when i started working there that i would ask them is it possible to get you know press passes and when fan expo was smaller and not as big of a corporate entity it was definitely a lot easier to get access so i got access to a lot of cons between i think 2004 and 2000 and i want to say nine um, you know, and I think 2009 for a long time would have been like that was one of the last cons I went to. I remember I went 2008 it was a big one because was my wife and I had been together maybe a month, uh, not even maybe we got together July 28th and uh, Fanex was always at the end of uh, August, so it was like about a month and she went to a con with me and. Uh, I think Dan DiDio said something about a shirt or a pin that she had. And so she was always like, oh, I'm, I know Dan DiDio. Uh, and uh, so I always kind of remember that. But that was probably the last time I got a press pass for many, many years. And then it was almost impossible. And I didn't really care. Um, so over the time, why has my relationship to conventions changed? Well, I think part of it's that in Toronto, we have access to Fan Expo. And so it's huge. It's a, it's it's like if you live in San Diego, you're only going to go to one con at San Diego Con or San Diego Comic Con, I should say. So I just feel like because it was so big, it became unwieldy, it became expensive, it became this big thing. And I think over time as well, I felt like I had all the comics I kind of wanted. Whereas when I was younger, it was about the excitement, it was the rush. You didn't own a lot, so it was this, so everything was new. Everything was fresh and exciting. I didn't own anything. I didn't know anything. And so every time I went, it was being able to uh, be part of something new and find something new. And I missed that part of conventions for me because as I got older, I kind of read what I want to read. Read, sorry, I can't speak apparently, but I've kind of read what I want to write, read, and um, you know, and I feel like I got less excited by you know, kind of the show floor, so to speak. And I now I did start to become more interested in the panels, but after a while, they kind of all rang true, like kind of all ran the same as well. And, and maybe it's just those the cons I was going to. Um, but I think it's also my expectations because when I was younger, I think I wanted I wanted the news. 
I don't care about the news anymore. I want the retrospective panels. I want the older creators. I want people to talk about their life stories and what, what went into these comics. When I was last going to conventions, I was probably less focused on that and more kind of on the news, on the fresh, new, exciting stuff. Um, which, again, my relationship to that has changed over time. Uh, and again, I, you know, my best friend used to go every year. Uh, Tibor Mate, he's been on the show in the past. His mom always went for a lot of the Star Trek stuff because she's a big fan of sci-fi, and which is a big reason why he was into sci-fi like Star Wars and Star Trek. So a lot, you know, we would go every year. I do remember very clearly the summer of I want to say 2003. I had saved money. Uh, it was a couple hundred, maybe a couple hundred bucks, um, because my girlfriend at the time lived in a different city, and there was a lot of kind of travel back and forth over the summer, and it was always me going there, and it was a whole thing. Anyways, we broke up right near the end of the summer, right before the con, and my buddy was like, fuck it, spend all this money, all this money that you wasted saving for her, go blow down some comics. So I bought a ton of Daredevil comics, because I was really getting into Daredevil, I had been getting into Daredevil for a while, but then own a lot of singles. Um, so I went back, and so I have a lot of singles between 200 and 300, um, and it was just, you know, it was exciting, it was fun, it was just going, you know, all the, the different vendors and seeing how many issues of Daredevil I could get, and for what kind of price, and that was, you know, I, that really stands out to me as a really fun moment. Uh, it was a shitty moment in my life in a lot of ways, but it was definitely a lot of fun. I remember I've only ever been to one Wizard World con that wasn't, like, a, I would call it a true Wizard World. I know they ended up having some branded Wizard World cons in Toronto, but I never felt like those were quite the same. But I went to a, um, uh, a Wizard World in Philly in 2008. Um, and that was interesting because I didn't go for comics. It, that, it was kind of incidental. I was big, big into Heroclix at the time, which is a, uh, a miniatures game. And um, these two guys I played with didn't know them that well, but they were like, you know, we're going to this con and you should come and you should play in the Heroclix tournament there. And it was a ton of fun. Um, it's one of those times where I, uh, when I was on the show floor, was looking for um, all the chapters of the Hands of the Mandarin storyline from Iron Man. Uh, couldn't get them. Couldn't get them all, uh, so I didn't buy any of them. And eventually, my patience would be rewarded with a trade paperback a couple years later. But uh, that was definitely a memory I have there, and that was a fun time. Um, you know, I, I would have been 24 years old. It's funny because the guys I was with, when I think about it now, uh, much older than me. Uh, I think one of them was born in what 1970, so he would have been like 38, and the other one would have been like 36. And I'm like, you know, early 20s, but it was just like, yeah, let's do this. And it was my first real kind of road trip too, um, and that was a lot of fun to kind of take part in a lot of fun and uh yeah so those are kind of those early experiences and then after 2009 I, I moved and it was i moved the weekend of fan expo i think i went for maybe a, one of the days i think i gave my press credentials which i was still getting at that point um to uh to my brothers-in-law and i think they went and i always remember that my brother-in-law came up with this big a print of mr peanut and that's kind of my remembrance of that con i think i went the next day um and that was a long time last time for a long time and i think the last time i went trying to remember because it's i think i went for i got maybe passes for two years thanks to kevin boyd who was again on eric anthony's show um and i think one one of those years and now i'm forgetting i'm and i'm sure eric will be know exactly when it was i think it was 2017 um might have been 16 no it gotta be 17 i don't know it was a labor day weekend and uh no it was 2017 i have a specific memories for why uh my wife uh took her son to a cottage uh with her sister-in-law's family and i was supposed to go with them and i was like i got press passes to go to the con i'm not missing the con and that's that con that i first met eric anthony of the cave of solitude podcast as well as martin slam duncan of the uh fastball special 
Uh, and that was that was a really fun con. Um, I you know ran into a few friends. Um, Nathan Struck, who's been on the show before, he was there with his wife, who actually used to be on the show a long time ago, back when uh, they lived closer by, and it was easier for her to be on the show. So I met them at the con, which was a lot of fun. And uh, but I saw Eric and went for drinks afterwards. And so that was I. I remember the people there more than the con itself. Uh, I know I bought an Iron Man shirt with the modular armor. Very happy about that. Um, but uh, you know that was probably the last time. And I actually I went to a bunch of panels. It was a lot of fun. I, I'm a super nerd, so I went to a, uh, a panel about the Student Bodies uh, TV series, uh, which was from the late 90s, uh, I want to say 97, 98, um, which for some reason, uh, well, I know which reason, I always think of it in black and white, which is dumb because it's obviously a color show, but I remember at the time, I had this, we had this, my family had this cottage that they rented every year for like 20 years, and um we had, had this old black and white TV and we had like bunny ears because they didn't have a TV at the cottage. And this is, this was a cottage cottage. This wasn't like, you know, a summer home. This was a cottage, uh, in the classic sense of the words. So we had like bunny ears on this, on this black and white TV and on like global, uh, it got like, you know, six channels on this dial and one of the channels there was student bodies every after every afternoon of four i think so i even though i kept watching it for a couple of years it was on for three seasons i always enjoyed the show it had a, a surprising impact on my uh, my uh, high school life uh it inspired me to kind of want to create my own uh high school newspaper um a lot kind of came from being inspired by that show and just you know thinking it was it was kind of neat and cool to you know going to do this thing and I wanted to do that too and um it was they had a an a reunion panel at uh, that con and I got to to meet the 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 original stars and take a picture with them and that was kind of a cool fun moment that doesn't you know not something I usually get to do and it, it was niche enough that it's not as typical as your classic you know you know, Star Wars, Star Trek. I feel like those people are more accessible, but <laughs> the cast of student bodies was something that was not going to happen often. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, that was the last, I think Connor was actually at, and I haven't really desired going as much. I, again, my, the collector in me or the, the kid who wanted to get new stuff, has that stuff he's bought it already um i do appreciate that there's some really great deals on trades and stuff but i find generally if i really want one i probably bought it already too um as you get older i find you know generally speaking i ha- i'm my wife kind of laments that at christmas and, bir- and birthdays it's hard sometimes to buy me stuff because if i really want it i probably bought it already now i think part of that growing up was just that if i wanted to buy something i needed to buy it myself you know if i wanted to buy comics my parents weren't going to buy me comic books once i was like 15 or something they were like no we don't really appreciate this hobby maybe if you're a child we would buy you a comic, but um, they, they they weren't really supportive of comics and that kind of stuff. So if I wanted it, I got to buy it my own. So a lot of stuff I've just kind of been used to always having to do that. So it's been uh, it's been interesting. Anyways, I'm almost at the time I kind of uh, set aside for myself. Just wanted to kind of gab about conventions and relationships with it. And, uh, you know, again, the the biggest takeaway to me is that I'm really glad that I went to that 2017 con because I got to meet Eric. And maybe I wouldn't have maybe I would have met him another time. But it was a really kind of fun experience to kind of meet him. And uh, he'll laugh at me. And I hope he does if he gets this far in the, in the episode. But I remember being really nervous about it because he was because, you know, he'd said, oh, you know, we should meet up at the con. And I was super nervous because just like, I'm you know, I'm. Not, I am a social person with people I know, and when I don't know you, I'm a little bit more clammed up. Uh, which is funny because I, you know, I work in a job where I constantly meet new people, um, and you know, I'm, I work at a bank and I'm constantly assisting people and helping new people. Uh, less than me now because I have a kind of an established book of people I deal with, but you know, there's still new clients all the time, and you know, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, easy to kind of interact with these people. But there's just something about kind of sometimes that putting yourself out there, I get a little bit nervous um, on the personal side. 
So I remember being more nervous than I ever should have been. And Eric is such a standout guy and a super nice person. And I'm so glad that I think he originally reached out to me on Facebook or something. And then we eventually you know met at that con. But I'm so glad he did because he's been a great friend and a great supporter of the show. And I've been loved being on his show. Um, and I you know it's, it's such a wonderful gift. I feel like that con and po- podcasting and that con have given me a really good friendship. And I'm really uh, appreciative for that. Um, but yeah, that was the, I think the last time I was actually at a con. Uh, and do I sometimes miss it? Yeah. Um, but I feel like these days, you know, more of those panels kind of, ex- you know, expand into other places. And I think the big thing, too, is that that kind of that personal connection with creators and being able to hear them tell their stories. You know, there's a lot of podcasts that do that now where you actually get these creators. You know, Word Balloon's a big one where, you know, he's, he has everyone on. And so if you really want to hear, you know, the more kind of intimate setting, um, you get it there and it's in i really enjoyed that and i think you know that had started to become more important to me as to what to go to a con for and now podcasting has kind of been a way to express that and to be honest like my own podcast has been a way for me to express that you know i'm able to connect with people that you know probably wouldn't maybe they would never come to toronto for a con but i'm able to chat with them on the podcast and kind of delve into that so it's interesting how these expectations change i think if i was in a smaller community that had you know, a pure comics convention where it wasn't about, you know, crazy over the top, like Fan Expo is almost too much of everything. And it feels like sometimes comics are marginalized. But if it was just a pure comic, like I've, I wanted to go to Terrificon because I felt like that was a pure comics panel, or sorry, comics convention. It was about the comics and the love of comics and the panels reflected that and the talent reflected that. And being able to see all those people in one spot felt amazing. I just haven't been able to get there. Um, so eventually, hopefully, if cons kind of come back, I hope to someday. Um, but yeah. That's 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 uh, today's episode. I just want to kind of gab about conventions and kind of my relationship to them and how that changed over time. And uh, I, I think I got coddled over the years by having press passes for as long as I did. Um, and that, you know, I, I started not realizing how expensive it was getting to go to something like Fan Expo. And it got to the point where it was like $45, $50 a day. It's just harder to make that, to justify that. And again, if I was a kid, I don't think I would ever be able to go, um, you know, because I was that kid with five bucks. You know, I had $20. I couldn't even get in the door now. Um, but back in the day, I could get in the door with 5 bucks and buy a bunch of comics and hear Mike Ringo talk smack about John Byrne, which was probably well-deserved because Mike Ringo was a stand-up nice guy and everyone's ever said, said that. And people have said that John Byrne sometimes can be prickly. So who are you going to believe? Um, but anyways, thank you for listening to this episode. I apologize for the rambly nature of it. I just wanted to kind of gab today. You can uh, always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Rate the show on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also listen to us on Stitcher. Um, and yeah, uh, this it's the holiday season, so I hope everyone is keeping safe and waiting for that vaccine next year, and can't wait to get that. So uh, thanks again for joining. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Just when you thought that the episode was over, I just remembered something that I completely forgot and wanted to at least opine about. I remember Paradise Comics used to have a convention in Toronto, and I'm trying to remember the year. I think it was 2003 five or 2006 i can't remember i was able to go to a convention anyways the night before the convention um or maybe it was an opening night i can't quite remember night before the day i went um i got to go i'm trying to remember the name of the bar now but anyways warren ellis did a, a night at this bar and I, w- I mean, I think somewhere there's some recordings of it or there's a transcription of it or it was he had written something he wanted to kind of, you know, say. And then, but then he, you know, went on tangents. But it was one of the one of my favorite evenings um, because I just remember and I'm trying to remember, I think I probably, probably had a couple of drinks. So I was probably a little hazy, but I remember just being 
wonderful because he was such an interesting and well-spoken speaker. I mean, obviously, people have their issues with Warren Ellis now with some of the thing, allegations and you know the things that he is – not even allegations, but now that we know a little bit more about him and what he's done in the past with people and, and with women, and it's obviously that's not good. But – um, you know that evening was still special because um, he was he was a storyteller talking about stories, and he had a great cadence to his voice, and he really opined really you know and it, it was long it was a long event, and he, and there were people you know there was a lot of laughing and um, you know he was telling jokes but he, you know telling stories about people like Alan Moore, um, but he was also just being very honest about how stories are constructed and it, I just it blew me away. And I would be remiss in a remembrance episode about conventions and history with conventions. I mean, that's pretty much tied to that convention because he was going to be at Paradise Con the next day, Paradise, whatever it was called at that time. I can't remember. I think at one point it was called Toronto Comic Con, or was that? I can't remember. There's been too many. Again, names and conventions. There's been too many of them over the years. But I remember that just being a really special moment. Um, and I think the next day was when I, I met Brian Michael Bendis, and I think I re- I'm trying to actually I'm forgetting some of this stuff. I recorded an audio interview with him, which I don't know if I ever t- properly transcribed all of it. Um, but it was just kind of talking with him about Daredevil, and I, when I mentioned the website and that I you know reviewed Daredevil, he kind of looked at me and was like, "You're Adam Jadman," and I'm like holy shit. I mean, I did say my name earlier, but Bendis, you know, kind of knew who I was. And it's because, you know, we had some very loving interviews, or sorry, not interviews, reviews of his Daredevil run at Comic Stream at the time. And originally, Andrea Speed had been the one um, writing the reviews, and then I was writing them as well, or sometimes we'd, we tag team them. And I just adored his Daredevil run. It was fantastic. And so I did say a lot of really nice, you know, glowing things about his work. And so I remember kind of him we're almost done the interview and kind of looking at me and realizing, as I said, kind of like that I was from comic stream and I reviewed daredevil. Cause he's like, Oh, you guys are really nice to me on daredevil. And again, over the years I've switched computers and I think I've lost that audio file. But for a long time I had that, that brief clip of him saying like, you're Adam Chapman. And that was just always really cool. And, and maybe it meant nothing. And, and, you know, maybe he didn't, maybe just, he's like, Oh, you know, just throw me a bone. But, uh, at the moment when I was, you know, I was probably 22, 23 years old, I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis knows my name. You know? And again, like now I've, I, I've talked to a lot of comic professionals and had conversations with people, and maybe they don't remember my name at all, but that was always that kind of that first moment. Um, and I remember I'm trying to remember, I think a, a year or two earlier, probably, I probably had interviewed, um, I think I interviewed Brian Azzarello, and I don't know if, I, I can't remember what happened to that that data either, um, but it was the Bendis one that was really kind of special. Um, and it was, so that weekend, it was, you know, Bendis kind of knowing my name, or at least knowing my work, the reviewing his work, um, and also that amazing uh, night with Warren Ellis at, the, at that bar. And that was just, again, such a fantastic moment, and uh, yeah, it, was just, it just lives on in my memory as being just a, a really wonderful evening with a creator, and it really opened my eyes. I feel like, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of creators in the last few years, obviously, and, you know, the way that Ellis talked about storytelling was pretty unique but not just to him i i think like when i listen to someone like uh jam de mateus i have that same feeling of just being uh, awestruck by you know what they're saying and how they feel and how they you know kind of come to storytelling and what it means to them and it's you know i think there's sometimes a difference between people who really take it as a high art and there are people who are good at it and enjoy just telling stories but uh they're not necessarily maybe even viewing themselves as true artists whereas i think People like Demetrius and Warren Ellis at times are more artists, or at least they have, they approach it like art. And I don't know if everyone does, and that's not a not and not in any way to put anyone down who doesn't maybe view it as art uh, or view it, view it the same way or have different feelings about it. And we all we all come to the work in different ways. Um, but it just 
is always stands out in my mind as really being one of those special moments. Um, anyways, that's that's the addendum. That's the epilogue to this episode. Thanks again. Bye bye.